Hey guys, what's up? Well, week 174. Uh, before we get into the reviews, I want to let you guys know that the final interview, the new movie by Fred Vogel, is up for pre-order. It's like a, a deluxe Blu-ray edition. I'll put the link below if you're interested. So yeah, let's hop into these reviews. This one, uh, the first one is from Severn Films. This is an amicus movie, and this is The Beast Must Die. I believe this one's 1974, and that's a hell of a mo uh, year for films, if you guys know. Uh, Texas Chainsaw, Let's Sleep, Corpses Lie, Death dream bring me the head of alfredo garcia very solid year um so the beast must die this is an amicus one i had not seen and it's a uh, not an anthology which a lot of the amicus movies are so this movie's really um the best part about it is the cast. It's got Michael Gambian, um, Anton Drift, the guy from The Man Who Could Cheat Death. I can never think of his name. It's also got um, Peter Cushing in it, of course, and uh, Charles Gray. So that, that's a top-notch cast and, and a couple other familiar faces as well. So this is kind of a rare werewolf movie. There's not that many werewolf movies, actually. And uh, there's not that many good werewolf movies either. I, I would put this one in as uh, decent. And like I said before, the, the great cast really pushes this one forward. Um, also, the production design, the location, stuff like that. Um, the script is okay. Uh, basically, what happens is this uh, millionaire summons all these people to his mansion for like a weekend, kind of get together, and he has these giant, uh, this giant perimeter set around his, you know, his... Um, mansion and the the surrounding woods and it, it's kind of like uh just a, every it's spying and everything come to find out he suspects that one of these um five like seven or eight people is a werewolf so there's this really cool part where he introduces everybody everybody's character kind of gets introduced and he goes through all of them and he's like basically what you were this and he has a reason to suspect all of them somebody they knew died mysteriously and uh one of the guys had eaten human flesh and when he was a professor so it's all sorts of weird things like that that. And it's, it's like I said, it's a, a kind of eclectic group of people. Um, Cushing is great in it. He's like this guy who studied where, uh, lichen trophy or whatever the hell you want to call it his entire life. So he's always wanted to find a werewolf. The, the lead guy, the lead guy who's basically put the whole thing together is a nutball. He's such a prick that you're like, I know there's going to be a werewolf, but I almost wish that it would just kill you and you would be out of the movie. He's such an asshole. He's insane. He's just like completely, he's one of these guys that was like obsessed with hunting and he's hunted everything, but now he wants to hunt a werewolf because, you know, it's the only thing that he cannot hunt uh, or hasn't hunted. So um, it, it takes a while to get started. About the mid-mark, people start to end up dead. And the, the hit on the movie for me really is, um, I, I don't like when they do this. I've never, ever been a big fan of wolf and it's been years since I've watched it, and it's technically not a werewolf, but um, the werewolf is just a big wolf. It's a real wolf. It's not, you know, the it's not a monster. It's just a big wolf. Um, they show the wolf a lot too. So, um, so anyways, what happens is. Like you, 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 it's like a mystery. It's almost like Agatha Christie's Ten Little Indians, and they actually have a documentary on here about that um, with Troy Horworth. So people start getting picked off here and there. It has some some bloody moments in here. Um, like I said, Michael Gambian's really great in it. Um, Cushing shines as always, and Charles Gray is also you know perfect. And so they do a lot of these myth like things myths in the werewolf thing that are a little bit different, kind of. Um, they, I mean, they're there, but they change them around a little bit. That only Wolfsbane has to be in the air for the silver to take effect on werewolves. So there's this really great scene where they pass around the candlestick on all these people. And uh, 
you don't know whether they're going to hold it and whatnot, like, and they're grabbing it, and it's this dramatic, just dramatic moment. But like I said, it has a slow start. The lead is unlikable. He's supposed to be kind of unlikable. I don't think you're ever really supposed to side with him. And there's a twist, but it's just kind of fairly obvious. And the lead does something completely idiotic um, towards the end when there's a reveal. It's like, no, come on, man. You didn't see that coming. But uh, anyways, it's it's fairly enjoyable. They remastered it. It looks really good. Like I said, it's in this beautiful mansion, the surrounding woods. All that stuff is really great. It's got like this funky score too. So it's not as funky as Cannibal Apocalypse or something like that. Because immediately when I, or like Cannibal Ferrex, when I think funk in these kind of 70s movies, I always think those two. In fact, I'm bobbing my head to the Cannibal Apocalypse music that's playing in my head right now. But uh, I just so tempted. But anyways, uh, yeah, it has a nice funky score. Um, there's a couple commentaries on here. There's a old, I think it's an archive interview with, I think he's the director. I, I 100%, it was kind of weird how it was put because it seemed like he was talking of it like the director in the past. But it did, I don't, I'm not 100% sure who it was. Like, But there is an uh, um, old commentary with um, the director, Paul Annett, and filmmaker Jonathan Skolik. And then there were Werewolves, which is the essay I was talking about, which is actually probably the coolest um, feature on here because it breaks down from Agatha Christie's movies and uh, all the ones that were produced and everything like that and, and you know that's like the setup for all the slasher movies and giallos of the past um yeah it was an archival interview with the director so uh yeah and then there's a bunch of audio interviews and original theatrical trailer as well with uh, optional commentary by kim newman and uh, david flint so um it's a nice release it looks good and it sounds good it's not a perfect werewolf movie like i said there's a couple knocks on it but i'm not gonna lie i did enjoy myself and um just if not for the amazing cast um put together and seeing you know charles gray interact with peter cushing because i love it he also got to interact with christopher lee and the devil rides out and everything like that so um yeah cool movie when the moon is full the beast must die one of you is a werewolf you must track down the werewolf one of these eight people is a werewolf. Can you guess which one? 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 One of these eight people will turn into a werewolf. Can you guess who it is when we stop the film for the werewolf break? See it. Solve it. But don't tell. The beast must die. Okay, this next one here is from Dread. Um, and this is Uncle Peckerhead. Yeah, the title. I was like, what in the hell is Uncle Peckerhead? A completely ridiculous title. But uh, I'm not going to lie. This is one of the most fun I've had with a 2020 movie in a long time. I, I think this is one of my... It's, it's in my top 10 currently. So the plot is there's this punk band. I, this movie always feels like it's supposed to take place in the early 2000s or somewhere. 2004, some, somewhere around that time. It, it has that kind of uh, setup and everything. And the characters are dressed that way and they act that way. And the technology even fits that way. So we have this punk band who's kind of struggling. They're, they're a three-piece. Um, all three are really kind of weird and unique characters. And in fact, by the end of the movie, I love all of them. In fact, right uh, pretty much in the first 20 minutes, I love all three of the main characters. Um, so they're down on their luck. They're supposed to do their first tour, but they don't have any sort of vehicle. 
they're broke, so um, they run across this guy that calls himself Peckerhead. He says his name is Peckerhead, and there's a, which is a hilarious quib by one of the people. Um, says your name that is not your name is not Peckerhead. He's like that's what my dad used to call me. But anyways, Peckerhead is this kind of weird guy that you know something's immediately wrong with him because in the opening they have a body that's mangled uh, on the street, and um, this person walks away and gets this creature monster get walks away and gets in the van that Peckerhead's in. So there's no secret that Peckerhead is this sort of monster by night. So anyways, um, through desperation, they start to hang out with Peckerhead. And pretty soon, this is a horror comedy for sure, um, Peckerhead starts to turn into a monster at midnight and kill people. But um, he has already started to form a bond with them. And they are very desperate. And what happens is this almost like family unit forms between Peckerhead and um, the three. Um, there's a bunch of hilarious dialogue in this movie. I actually laughed out loud several times. Um, there's a point when Peckerhead's giving a speech, a la Dirty Work, when the homeless guy starts to give his whole spiel and they just walk away. The same thing happens to Peckerhead, but uh, he starts to go on. He's like, you know... Your boy here fell on hard times, and in this capitalistic world we live in, and I just—it's so funny and ridiculous, and every, they just walk away. Like he is so good in this, the guy who plays Peckerhead, that um, he's just super likable. Although he is a violent murderer, and it would take a very special actor to do that to be able to kill people, and then you're like, why are they hanging around him? And you're like, I know kind of why they're he. It, it, hanging around him. This movie's super endearing. It's not like, oh, isn't it? It's so endearing and earnest. Uh, it's just, it knows what it's doing. It knows the time that it reflects. And maybe it's my age showing, you know, that time in the early 2000s when there was all these bands uh, that you'd go see and local bands and everything like that. It's definitely that that kind of idea. And I feel like the people who made this movie have that kind of experience, at least, understand it. So anyways, um, the, the group, the band runs into some people they don't like, and every once in a while, Peckerhead will kill people, and it's all building up. And it's gory, too. When when the murders happen, heads get ripped off, blood sprays, and everything like that. And then I mentioned the music's really catchy. Um, I actually thought that, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not singing it in purpose, you know, this probably later recorded, but the way the music came through and the performances of the actors singing it, I felt like actual like uh, emotion for them. I felt that they were actually putting themselves into it. And I thought it really worked. Um, I can't think of the one... I'm terrible with characters' names if I only watched the movie one time. Except Peckerhead, because he's the titular character. But um, the band member, with the bald band member with the beard is so quirky and so funny. Um, he is so weird. And there's this great part where he's trying to impress somebody. And uh, that person's interested in someone else. And they're swimming. And he jumps off the, the side of the pool. And he's like, hey, look what I can do. And it's just like, it's like the Stuart thing. Or like, look at this. And he just does something really stupid. But it was so funny. Like I said, the lead character i love her too she's really she's really great she's like mean but tough and just also very endearing and just doesn't take any shit uh loves all the characters love the acting in this one and uh there's a point where they're kind of co competition with this douchebag band and they're so lame but so funny um what he sings one of these songs and everybody in the crowd's just like and, and there's just so many gags and I, you know humor is very subjective and like i said um I was laughing hysterically at Meet Wally Sparks a couple weeks ago. So you guys know my humor. I, I like all kinds of humor, but I am very picky about my humor. 
my friends used to call me the, you know, comedy police. Cause I'd be like, you guys are laughing at that. Cause you know, I'm just kind of a jerk when it comes to that. But I thought this was hilarious, gory, fun. And, uh, the performances are really solid, especially for a low budget movie. I think this is filmed in New Jersey and New York. And they said like in the commentary and stuff, they were pointing out the, the changes and everything. So I thought it like, um, jumping from one location to another, I didn't notice the editing solid. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this one. Um, this is one of my favorite movies from 2020. I thought the music was solid. Um, the, the, this does have some features. Like I said, there was an audio commentary, and I, I feel like there was a little short making of. Um, yeah, there's a short movie where you can kind of see where they pick some of it up, which is also kind of fun about a roommate who's like kind of possessed by a demon or something like that and causing them a lot of problems, but with a lot of the same cast too. But anyways, uh, highly recommended. Uncle Pecker had his great stuff. Um, happy that this one came out uh, because, you know, I hadn't really had my like comedy horror for the year yet. So yeah, this one's good stuff. Band meeting. Six shows, seven days. What do you guys need a band for? So that our band can go on tour. I can drive y'all. Every touring band needs a roadie, don't they? Sorry, I didn't get your name. My name's Peckerhead. That is not your name. It's tour time. How could be taking him so long? Hello? Every night at midnight, I turn into something. Who's to say it wouldn't be one of us next time? I am in complete control. <laughs> Yo! Put your head down so he can get the top of your dome. Okay, guys, this next one here is the 4K from Arrow Video, and this is 2000's Pitch Black, starring Vin Diesel, of course, um, and Keith David. So I hadn't seen this movie since it came out, and, you know, at the time I remembered it being a solid science fiction horror movie. Uh, so I was wondering how it was going to hold up. You know, 2000 had some CGI, and there are a lot of CGI, so I was like, I don't know in 4K, is it going to hold up? So I put this in, and uh, some of the CGI was really iffy at, and some of the editing techniques, especially during the beginning action, were just jarring for me. But after about 20 minutes, I adjusted to it, and I was like, man, this is, this is really good. Um, the character, Pitch Black's character, what's his name, Riddick? Riddick is just a strange character. At first, he's so unapproachable, and they definitely follow this idea that Riddick is the bad guy, and then they kind of turn it on its head where people aren't who they seem, uh, a lot of that kind of going on, and you think that you know he kind of comes around. Definitely a big anti-hero. So what this uh, movie is, is basically this spaceship is traveling to a certain location delivering a prisoner among other people, a bunch of passengers, and uh, they hit through an asteroid belt or something like that, meteor shower, whatever the hell it is. I don't know my space lingo. So anyways, uh, the ship gets damaged beyond repair, and they have to crash land in a hostile environment. It's kind of like aliens. They land, and nobody's there. And it looks like that there were people there, but something um, horrible had happened. Um 
they noticed through a model that this planet has, what, three suns. And it seems that it's constantly hot out. But when it does have, when night does happen, it seems to last quite a long time. Um, pretty soon, um, they realize there's something on this planet, and they're not alone, and that's what happened to the people. It appears that there's these creatures, these insect-like creatures, kind of like I don't know, bat mantises that live underneath the ground um, in the earth. They kind of tunnel in. But at night, because sun hurts them, like all evil things, right? Uh, they crawl out and they feast. So they cannibalize each other. They have been because that's all they can do. But uh, now they have some easier targets, I guess. So um, Riddick ends up having to team up with them. And uh, there's, it's kind of a ragtag group of guys. There's a, a bounty hunter played by, um, what is his name, Hauser or something, Cole Hauser. He's pretty good in this one as well. Um, the pilot uh, who turn, takes the role of the captain because the original captain died, Keith David. And uh, he's like this Muslim guy who's like a preacher or whatever the Muslim equivalent to a preacher is. I'm not sure if it's called the same thing or anything. But then he has like three kind of underlings who are learning from him and this uh, kind of drunk connoisseur of wine and things like that. So they basically have to kind of focus together and survive these monsters on this planet. So a lot of it is kind of, it's not a siege movie, obviously, but it's kind of a, a group of ragtag tape people that got to get one location to the other while they're being picked off. So, and then parts of it does feel like a siege movie where they kind of end up hidden somewhere. Um, the gore effects are, are decent when they're there, but a lot of it's CGI. So I want to be honest, a lot of the CGI isn't great, but the atmosphere is really solid in this one. And uh, the characters are decent enough. Um, Riddick, at first, you're like, eh, but he becomes really interesting. And it becomes like a good, dark sci-fi movie. Um, it's definitely sci-fi horror, which is something that we don't get very many good ones. You know, but when we do, they're, you know, it's, it's like the cream of the crop's so good that you can't help but compare it to Alien and stuff like that. So... It definitely has like an alien vibe or maybe even a Starship Troopers alien vibe mix. Maybe the creatures are more like Starship Troopers and it's not as good as those movies, but like I caught myself really enjoying this one. I, I liked it quite a bit and it doesn't really pull punches on who it kills. It, it, it has guts. If then that's a, says a lot about a lot of these movies nowadays or that time period where it doesn't seem like many of them would have guts. Like, I don't think this movie thought it was going to be this big hit and it was, and it spawned a bunch of sequels. Like it spawned uh, Chronicles of Riddick and then an animated sequel and then one called Riddick. So it had a huge follow, a huge kind of like big hit on it. This one was actually filmed, I believe in, was it Australia? And the director tells a great story on the, um, um on an interview where he says it, it's funny because this was filmed in a town of miners and in the movie theater, it normally would say, please don't smoke. It said, please don't bring in explosives. So it just kind of painted the picture of this place. So he tells a real nice story on the disc. He's a brand new interview. And there's also a brand new interview with one of the actresses, a couple of the actresses, actually the one who played the, um, the little, um, child. I don't want to spoil it because that character is also kind of a little unique. And at first you're like, what? This character's acting so strange. And then you're like, that makes perfect sense. But, uh, yeah, yeah, there's also a relationship between Riddick and the child that kind of forms. Um, Keith David's really solid in it as well, as he always is. Totally underrated actor, if you ask me. But anyways, it's a really, you know, for the most part, well acted. I, I can't have any weak links in the acting, to be honest. But there is stronger performances than others. So uh, it's a really solid science fiction horror film. That's like the most definition I could say about it. Like, it's just, it's very good. But um, like I said, how does the picture quality look? I, I think it looks pretty good. There's... um. 
some unique looks about it. Like I said, some of the editing is a little jarring for me. That's just a product of its time, especially when the character's in the tunnel and it, it's just cutting to a lot of weird things and you're just like, ah, this is like, you know, almost feast editing where you can't tell what the hell's going on and that's kind of the intent. But uh, later they'll do these big wide shots when the creatures are coming out of like the ground and flying into the air, which I think is really cool and actually reminded me a lot of the, um, what's that one that came out this year called Underwater, kind of how they do those. Of course, the CGI is better in that film as it is newer uh, by quite a lot, 20 years newer. But uh, yeah, this one is loaded with features. I'm going to have to cheat and look at the back and just cherry pick some of these or I'll be here all day. So um, there is both cuts. You get theatrical and director's cut. I chose to watch the director's cut. Um, I, I watched the theatrical years ago. There's an archive commentary, um, more than one archive commentary. And there's Nightfall, the making of Pitch Black, which I, which I watched a bit, which is the uh, interview with the director and writer. I watched that one. And then we have Jackie's uh, Journey, a newly recorded actor uh, interview with actress Rihanna Griffin. Um, then we have Black Box, Shanna's Last Stand, a newly recorded interview with actor Claudia Black. Black Box, Bleach Bypass, a newly recorded interview with cinematographer David Igby. Um, we have so many new things here. The effects supervisor, um, we have composer, and then we have behind-the-scenes featurette, and then we have the CGI chest between the final footage, and we have a bunch of old things, too. Um, then we have a prequel narrated by Cole Hazard detailing the character's hunt for Riddick. So there's so much stuff in here. We have an animated short film. Like, this thing is freaking loaded, so... If, if you like uh, Pitch Black, then I recommend picking this release up. Um, it was a nice revisit. I thought it was pretty good, and it held up. So, yeah. They say most of your brain shuts down in cryosleep. All but the animal side. Guess that's why I'm still awake. He's gone, he's gone. Why should he bother us? Maybe to take what you got. Maybe to work your nerves. Is he really that dangerous? Only around humans. Take! All you people are so scared of me. But it ain't me you gotta worry about now. Whatever it is, it got Zeke and it nearly got me. They seem to stick to darkness. So if we stick to daylight, we should be all right. everybody out here.
You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Okay, this next one is from MVD, and this is Reborn. And this one I didn't know too much about. It says, Carrie meets Firestarter. So, yeah, this stars Barbara Crampton and Michael Pare, and uh, there's a couple other names in here. Ray Day Chong was in here, Ray Don Chong from um, The Borrower and Commando. I knew there was somebody else. So, okay, this one is... Um, Barbara Crampton is this kind of past her prime actress and she starts to suffer from a lot of depression and it stems from the loss of her child, kind of a, um, what she had a miscarriage and the baby was born, it was born, born stillborn. Uh, so essentially she just feels really lost about it and she wants to find out what happened to the child's body years down the line. The opening in this movie actually follows, um, I think it's Chas Bono in the role as a coroner and he's kind of, um, just taking pictures of naked, the naked bodies in there being a real perv and there's an electrical uh, surge and it, it, fi it turns out that the stillborn baby is still alive. He ends up taking the baby home with him and we kind of fast forward years down the line. So this is actually the daughter of Barbara Crampton that was thought to be lost so she's also longing to find her mother and all that thing so basically both of them are on a collision course to meet um one day she wanders in after doing some research and finding out that barbara crampton is her mother and finding out and taking her acting class but um this young um woman obviously has some problems she uh has these powers basically like a pyrokinesis i think is what you'd say and anybody who upsets her or gets in the way of her mother and her is going to end up dead michael Pare is a cop that starts to kind of discover all the things going on and starts a relationship with Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton is pretty solid in the movie. She's always pretty solid in her roles, and she has a couple dramatic moments, um, especially when she kind of uh, has a, she has a couple kind of breakdowns, if I remember correctly, more dramatic moments. Um, uh, the lead in here, I mean, the other lead in here, the kind of the reborn character, she's decent as well. She has a unique look and I, I did feel sorry for her. I did feel some sympathy for her. Michael Paré is okay. You know, he plays that kind of average kind of, I used to be hunky kind of cop, uh, trustworthy kind of good guy. And I just like the guy, you know, do you ever have those actors that you're like, I don't know how great he is. I don't really know, but I just like him. It also reunites these two from Puppet Master Littlest Reich. So there you go. Um, the CGI in here is really bad. Um, in fact, there's a lot of like CGI blood splatter. It looks terrible. And there's all like electrical um, CGI and stuff like that. It just doesn't really do very well. When the practical is there afterwards, it looks okay. It's kind of the after effects. Um, this one is very melodramatic in places. And I think it's just okay. It opens up right in the beginning with this music. And it makes it dates the movie. It feels like it's from like 2000. And they're like going back for, for a bigger throwback than that. Like they're trying to be like an 80s flick or something like that. Um, anyways, I thought it was okay. I thought that Barbara Crampton was decent in it and a lot of people are going to watch for that reason but um i wasn't madly in love with it or anything like that i can't really give it a, um, a strong recommend or anything but that's reborn are you dr ritz yes i'm looking for my mother <laughs> And then she said that you put her in a jar? This is about your life. The life you're supposed to have before all that mess happened.
did. They created a monster leader. I don't believe you. Okay, this next one is from the Netherlands from Artsploitation Films, and this is We. And um, this is a very interesting structural film, if that will, if that's going to make sense. Um, this movie is very weird. It follows eight characters and is divided into four chapters. So we start with a character named Simon. It's these young kids during a summer and uh, the escapades that they did. They do, and it kind of jumps around timelines. First, it opens up with this court case explaining that they're all they're going to be in trouble or being tried, and then it kind of jumps back, and he's telling the story of what happened. In fact, all the stories are like that of people telling over you know the timeline, starting like they're on trial, explaining every single thing that happened. So we start with Simon, who's probably the nicest of the bunch or one of the more likable of the group. And uh, at first, they, the group just seems to be out having fun, partying, having sex, doing things like that, and all of a sudden... Um, they're all introduced and they all have personalities, of course, big personalities and stuff. Some of them, you know, are more focused on than others. <laughs> and and fair, pretty soon enough, they start this kind of porn shoot where they're selling porn online and everything. And you're like, oh, they're being in trouble for that. That seems kind of... Um, you kind of side with them immediately because you're like, eh, who cares? I mean, even though unless they're underage, and it's like, oh, that complicates things and makes it even crazier. Um, but yeah, you feel like it's almost... Um, a little bit more innocent. And then it starts to get towards the end um, of his story and you start to introduce some prostitution, forced prostitution. And we jump into another character's story and we, we get inside her head and it goes on further and we see more dark things and it goes on and on and we jump over a third character and then by then you start to hate the group because they've gotten so horrible and people are ending up murdered and there's blackmail. And by the time we get to the last character, you think he's an absolute monster. He is a monster, and it explains everything, and it goes over some of the things we've already seen by different points of views, and there's little bits of the story that have been left out. Sorry, I thought the camera's going out. Little bit of the stories that have been left out from other previous things. So you're like, what, what happened here? They fill in all those things. So now while you had sympathy before, you have ex absolute animosity later on because they start to fill in those blanks. And the end of the movie brings up a question like... Um, it's so weird how they end it, um, and it's obviously probably supposed to kind of upset people, but um, it's got a very unique ending, to be honest. So um, not unique, but just different, um, and some people would say that it's open, not open-ended, but feels almost incomplete or very um, agitating, but um, I think the movie as a whole is, is pretty interesting. There's lots of nudity, lots of sex, and... and um, it's pretty pretty graphic, to be honest. I'm not even sure if I can get away with showing the trailer. There's probably some nudity in there. But um, I did think the movie was interesting. I thought how they structurally did it was kind of unique. And um, at first, it does feel like there's going to be missing pieces, but all by the end, they're all there. Um, and the end does open up a question. But Master Manipulator in, in the one character that I could not stand. And when characters start to turn that far... Um, I just have trouble thinking that anyone else would listen to him. But uh, that is we. There's no real features on here except a trailer, which seemed to have scenes that were not in the movie. Um, and this is supposed to be the director's cut. So, yeah, um, if you're interested, check it out. It was summer. For the first year, I felt it was really summer. We knew everything. We knew everything better. Was you verliefd? 
Ja, enorm. Ik denk dat ik nooit nog zo verliefd kan zijn als ik verliefd als een paar. We waren met acht. Vlamingen en Nederlanders. Femke, Jens, Ruud, Karel, Liesel, Ena en Thomas. Dat waren wij. Ik zweer te spreken zonder haat en zonder vrees. De waarheid te zeggen, de hele waarheid en niets anders dan de waarheid. Ik wil je eraan herinneren dat je onder Ede staat, meneer De Volder. Geef je over. Kom aan. Hey, echt. Wat die student zegt, dat kan niet waar zijn. Ik heb nog nooit gevochten in mijn leven. Het was kinderlijk. Het ging ons om het plezier. Daar kunnen we echt veel geld mee verdienen. Ja? Met porno. De zakenman verliest zich niet. Dat is slecht voor de zaak. Je geld interesseert mij niet. Wat zeg je? Interesseert het u niet? En dat deed het op je bord. En heel wat thuis. Heel mijn leven voor gewerkt, mijn jongen. Dat was een fucking van YouTube. Ik heb het Deze shit had zo grappig zijn. Okay, here we go. We have a new one from uh, a new release from Tempe. Um, and this is Skinned Alive from 1990 on Blu-ray. That's right. I love this movie. I grew up watching this one. They also sent, I also got a CD with it and the second bonus disc, which is the movie in 16.9. Um, okay, here we go. Um, if anybody knows me, knows I'm a big fan of Tempe. Grew up watching them. So they were a company out of Akron, Ohio, which is the same state I'm from, Ohio. And um, in the mid-80s, they started making films like The Dead Next Door. And then they made a bunch of low more low-budget films later on, including Robot Ninja and then Skinned Alive. All three now have been released on Blu-ray. Um, J.R. Brookwalter continued the company and put out stuff like Ozone, The Sandman, Polymorph. And uh, Bloodletting also came out by Matthew Jason Walsh. So these are the movies I watched a lot of um, growing up. So when Skinned Alive, I was always waiting for Skinned Alive to hit Blu-ray after Robot Ninja and Dead Next Door. So... Anyway, Skinned Alive is directed by John Kilo. He actually had um, roles in Robot Ninja Small Role and a bigger role in The Dead Next Door. And this was kind of his directorial debut. This um, stars, most famously, Scott Spiegel is the star of this one. And uh, a bunch of other Tempe regulars. I can't think of the guy's name, but he pops up in Robot Ninja as a cop and Dead Next Door as a cop. He's actually the same character in Robot Ninja. But just a bunch of Tempe regulars in here. And Mary Lambert, who is actually an Exorcist uh, 3 uh, Legion the same year as Skinned Alive. But anyways, we have a, a family of weirdos, think uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that skin people and make leather jackets and sell the skin. They're traveling salesmen, if you will, and murderers. Their van breaks down after a couple murders had taken place, and they end up having to stop at this small town. Uh, the mechanic is nice enough to let them stay at his house with him and his nagging wife, and the next-door neighbor is an alcoholic um, divorcee, or a guy who's in the process of getting divorced, who's a big kind of gun enthusiast so he basically is miserable going through a divorce alcoholic and uh ex-cop um from the actions that happen in robot ninja so basically what happens is you know it's not going to end well because the group of uh, uh killers are not going to you know stop doing what they do um the three of them there's a mother that they call crawl daddy who's in a wheelchair and uh there's two kids violent and fink fink is played by scott spiegel he's absolutely ridiculous and crazy and violent is crazy as well but um fink steals the show he is uh if anybody doesn't know scott spiegel he comes from the sam raimi camp so that high energy constantly moving the camera at 
ad-libbing, just all sorts of weird, quirky, gag-effect things. And his personality and that kind of Raimi personality group comes into the movie in this this one because of that. And not to mention that, you know, Raimi kind of produced um, uh, kind of a hidden producer in Dead Next Door at one point. He put in some money towards that. So if they, their movies kind of already felt like that to me, like really low-budget kind of Raimi-inspired things. So, so anyways here... Uh, this movie is fairly short. It's like an it's like 80 minutes, if that. Um, and it's just one of these comfort foods for me. Uh, so, anyways, they start to kill people. Cop catches on. It's going to be a big clash between the cop and him. Uh, the dialogue, yeah, it's overly cheesy. Um, some people may say the acting's over the top. I don't mind it. I really like it. Um, there's lots of memorable lines in here for me. Lots of needle drops. There's a couple needle drops that actually stick in my head. And um, this trailer, I had watched so many times that I, I forever loved it. Um, it's just always been stuck in my head and the end credits and everything like that but we can ski in that son of a bitch alive like I said there's lots of good um, moments in here like that and you know what I like about low budget movies and I know some of my friends share the same sentiment um, if you're making an independent movie move your camera do weird things do something different don't make it like a Hollywood movie because you're never going to do it better than them with a little bit of money you have. So why don't you do some weird things? Why don't you do some crazy things? And the camera always is moving here. Like, just at any point moment. Like, um, there's a moment where uh, the camera comes in and pulls into the van and then just somebody will say a line. All sorts of stuff like that. Just kind of innovative, fun things that um, some people, you know, would, would think is obviously independent, but it's a way to make it more appealing to the eye. Um... It looks really great. Um, it was remastered from the original 16. Uh, so, or that, what it was, a 16AB. Regardless, it looks way better than it ever did. I can't believe it looks this freaking good. I, I can't believe I actually got to see it look this good. Um, also has a remastered DTS sound. Sounds great. Uh, anyways, just really enjoyed watching it again. Um, I've seen this movie more than a dozen times. Um, and the gore, it's really nasty uh, when it comes to the gore. It's gory and splattery and everything like that. Um, and uh, like I said, there's just lots of good one-liners from Fink. And uh, I actually really like the main character, too. I actually feel bad for him. Um, he's actually wearing a shirt that says, Boycott Jane Fonda, American Traitor. So you know that he loves guns. <laughs> just I don't know why. That's just one-on-one, -on -one, like that kind of character that, like, you're like, oh, this guy's going to shoot somebody in a movie. In a movie, at least. You know what I mean? Well, it also helps that he's got, like, the John Wayne clock and everything like that. So you know what kind of mentality his character has in, in a film, at least. It also, has, it's one of those low-budget movies. There's a bunch of movie posters on the wall, too. So, uh, anyways, just really enjoy this one. It's gory. It's goofy. It's very funny. It's, it's like spoofy and stuff like that. Somebody once called this movie The Three Stooges Meet the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I think there was kind of a hit on the movie. And I was like, I don't know. That sounds fun to me. I don't, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, um, this isn't for everybody. But if you like stuff like Robot Ninja and possibly The Dead Next Door and more low-budget kind of goofy um like movies, I would even say like um, "Thou Shall Not Kill" except um, the kind of uh, Josh Becker is his name Becker, yeah, I think from the uh, Raimi camp. Then I would say check out "Skinned Alive." I would put it on that kind of caliber. I mean, I would say that "Thou Shall Kill Not Kill" probably cost a lot of more money and had a lot more time put into it, but I, I wouldn't say that they're that much different in terms of tone, um, if that makes any sense. But anyways, you can order this from Makeflix, and uh, yeah, check it out if you're interested. I recommend picking up "Dead Next Door" on Blu-ray and "Robot Ninja" as well. I think Ozone also had a Blu-ray release. So, um, yeah, great stuff.
Oh, geez. You know what? I, I should mention that there's some cool special features on here, too. Um, on the first disc, I checked out all the features on the first disc. We had um, an interview, kind of a making of, where they interview some of the people involved that are still around. Violence on there. Uh, Mary Lambert uh, had, or is it Mary Jackson? Mary, Mary Lambert's director of Pet Cemetery. Mary Jackson had actually passed away. Um, so they had a little documentary about her with her son and everything like that. But uh, the Violence in there, and uh, the guy who plays... Uh, uh, not Paul. Is it Paul? The neighbor, Paul, is in there talking about the movie. And he seems like a real nice guy. Um, just seems genuinely really nice guy. Um, and, and they all have, you know, their ideas about Skin to Live. None of them think it's a masterpiece. John Kilo's on there as well. And he, they're just like, you know, like they seem like they're happy they did it. But also at the same time, they know it's not a perfect movie. Um, and then there's a nice little comparison on here um, that uh, J.R. Bookwalter talks about the um, remastering of the movie. And basically due to COVID-19, we got Skin to lie this year instead of next year so i guess some good things come out of, came out of covid19 now was it worth it probably not but still um it's, it's a nice little doc a little thing on there featurette i guess you'll say um to learn kind of uh the remastering process because it's not something i know about um scanning you know 2k scan of the movie and then all the snow particles and everything like that so he talks about having to fix all that and and maybe making some small edits on the movie to make it just flow a little bit better and make a little bit more sense so anyways uh yeah that's the skid to live release um now it's a bit pricey but it was worth every cent for me so yeah a lonely country road going my way baby where a stranger looking for a ride meets a family straight from hell are there any motels in this rat hole of a town? Could stay at my place. Yeah, we're having a cookout tonight. You're all invited. You know, that's what I like about small towns. You're always treated like family. I think you've died and gone to Mayberry. Where's your darling little children, Miss Crawford? Man, woman, birth, death. Shouldn't we be collecting more bodies while we're stuck in this shithole redneck town? You like it? You made that? You didn't think it was real, did ya? It's time to play. Kills you to do some work, stuff that's fine. He'll make a fine leather jacket. As a matter of fact, he'll make a lot of leather jackets. You two have fun. I gotta get my beauty sleep. Watch your friend die, old man. You know, I don't like that fault. I want to empower him to do her killing. Ah, sharp ones, too. Let's see how sharp they are, shall we? Are you happy with your life? Oh, Jesus. Unhinged. Now get me a knife. We gonna skin that son of a bitch alive. You got some weird friends, Tom. Insane. Traveling salesman type are always in a hurry. Out of control. <laughs> skin alive. Okay, we have a Patreon pick um, from Matthew Brown, and he picked The Intruder from 1962, directed by Roger Corman. And this is infamously, um, or it was at one point, the only movie that Roger Corman did make money on. This stars William Shatner. And um, I know people are like, William Shatner? Like, uh, you, you immediately think of a 
kind of performance like Star Trek or Kingdom of the Spiders or something like that. And this is not that Shatner performance. Um, this is 62. This is right in the heart of segregation and all that kind of stuff going on in America. But this basically follows a small town who is eliminating segregation um, and moving some African-Americans into the school. Um, now, William Shatner is uh, supposedly coming down as some sort of social, he says social worker, but it's not that kind of social worker. And he is basically coming down to kind of manipulate everyone into getting them under his thumb, where he starts to kind of talk to the townsfolk about how they feel about segregation um, or integration or basically integration or mixing or anything like that. And they all are very upset about it, but they're like, it's the law, it's over, you know, yada, yada, yada. So he starts to manipulate people and plant this seed in them of hate. And um, the speeches he gives, they feel like they, you can hear them, you know, within the last five years anywhere. Like the man, mass manipulation. And it's so weird in today's society that nowadays, literally, People are, are radicalized by memes on the internet, on Facebook. They see a meme, um, and people are so easily radicalized by that, uh, by the internet. But uh, back in the day, when you wanted to radicalize somebody or, or get them to turn, you had to go with yourself and do it. You had to, even even the manipulators have gotten lazy today. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, but um, you guys understand what I'm saying. So he goes in and starts to manipulate this small town, not even probably because he believes in what he's saying, just because he wants to have some sort of control or some sort of power over these people but um you know mob mentality after it started it's very hard to control so um what happens is things start to get out of hand the newspaper person has a change of heart due to it um and just the horrible things that these people do um there's also another uh there's a traveling salesman that um, william shatner's character had contact with and uh, this character is really interesting to me he reminds me of like a bruce glover type he's really kind of got a big broaded shoulders big face kind of guy and um he's probably one of my favorite characters in the film and uh, I, I think the, his relationship with Shatner and his interactions with Shatner are really great there's also this really heavy set guy who kind of pulls all the strings I think he's like the mayor somebody up higher and I've seen this guy in a dozen things also a really strong performance but um, this movie really hit home watching this and, and it's just like I feel like when you watch something like this like man Roger Corman had a lot of guts William Shatner had a lot of guts to do a picture like this and if you watch the trailers from Hell on it I know that or hear some interviews and everything like that I'm sure uh, Joe Don and like uh, L.R. Kane had brought this movie up and talked about it quite a bit. Like you hear the the idea that they filmed it in the South and nobody knew what the hell they were filming. And then when they're done, they got the hell out of there because you know they could be construed as you know very offensive to those people or you know or, or painting this picture of them. But uh, this one's powerful stuff, um, aggravating at times um, and very deeply. Um, you know, resonant, actually. It resonated very much uh, just how people are so easily manipulated nowadays or mob mentality. And mob mentality is never, no matter what the issue is or what side someone's on, You mob mentality is powerful. And it's like a whirlwind in Young Guns, man. Sometimes when you get caught up in it, it's hard to get out. And uh, it's just a really kind of um, good, very interesting well-made movie and uh i know another one people keep bringing up is facing the crowd say how it resonates today i gotta check that one out as well but the intruder great stuff and and shatner man in this movie i, I know what you got we've all seen shatner movies and yeah them william shatner and that kind of shit it's not that he is a sly son of a bitch in this movie he is such a piece of shit he's great in it though um and and like i said um very well acted very well constructed um black and white um cheap but very effective movie really really liked it um very very good stuff Thank you. 
this man. Take a good look at him. He's a specialist. He knows exactly how to turn this quiet town into a hell of violence. The Negroes will literally, and I do mean literally, control the South. They are willing to fight down to the last ditch and keep fighting till this thing is over. The intruder. He made the sleepy town of Caxton his town for his reason. He played on their fears and their hatreds. This town became a headline for the intruder. He brought an end to innocence. He exploited a woman's weakness. He turned neighbor against neighbor. How come you walk that bunch of black niggers to our white school? I don't see anything I do as any business of yours. And sooner or later, it would happen. He would make it happen. Over here. You were alone with a white girl in the basement of the school, but you didn't try to do anything. Is that what you expect us to believe, nigger? Well, speak up! Okay, time for the run through 91. We're coming to an end on these. There's not going to be very many more of these, if any, next week. So this is All American Murder, starring Christopher Walken. And this one, I was, I was going to stop at 91 watches, but I just kept putting I couldn't help myself. Um, now, somebody that I'm in the group with or is going to do the show is a big fan of this one. So anyways, uh, it's on Tubi, so I decided to watch it. Okay, I love William Shatner. This movie starts off, and I was like, this isn't a horror movie. This is a weird crime drama. And the beginning of the movie starts off as a love story where we have this this firebug who's like a judge's son and he gets kicked out of every school and always breaks the rules. He's the anti-authoritarian, almost anarchist type. And uh, basically what happens is he goes to this new school and the principal's like, you better not screw up here because we're watching you. And he, he starts to be infatuated with this super popular, really smart, pretty girl. And um, eventually she's like, okay, I'll date you. It's just like, you know, back in the day, you just keep asking until they say yes right it's not that's all those movies like that's like i'm going to become a stalker and eventually still say yes um but anyways you guys know uh so every time he meets like eye contact with her there's these weird moments like this cheesy music comes on and the first thing that came to my head i told them in, in, in the chat group the person i said this music sounds like something i'd hear at four o'clock in the morning at myers while i was trying to shop and if i was depressed i'd have to hide my tears but if i was not depressed i would just be agitated so this music comes in and it's just i don't know how to explain it but that's exactly how it feels in the weird kind of way so it's really cheesy and melodramatic and then of course she ends up murdered no and she was burnt and he He's a firebug, so oh no. Um, did I mention he's already screwed the principal's wife too? So that happened. Um, so he's, he's obviously not, he's making some enemies. So you're like, oh crap. And everybody thinks he did it because he was at the scene of the crime. Everybody's yelling at him. He gets arrested, but the, his dad pulls some strings, so he's out on the street. And basically, um, uh, Richard Kind's also a cop in here. 
everybody is trying to get him busted, but Walken is kind of a unique cop who's got a bunch of goofy one-liners, and his introduction's absolutely hilarious when he walks up, and there's this, like, robber, and he's like, I banged your wife, and he's just out there saying all this weird stuff. It's just funny. But anyways, what happens is he kind of believes him, so he's like, I'm giving you 24 hours, kid. And, um... Basically, he's trying to figure out what happens, and as he goes on and on, he starts to uncover these weird things, but everybody ends up getting killed, and they all get killed like it's a slasher movie, and it just turns into like a slasher giallo in the last half an hour where people are getting like shot and stabbed, and somebody gets a fucking grenade on their legs and their pants, so it gets absolutely ridiculous. It's an absolutely nonsensical movie, and it sets itself up for a sequel, uh, All-American Murder. It's ridiculous, and it is like at times sometimes uh, uh, like unintentionally funny and just weird. But I enjoyed the thing because it's so weird. The lead is, is I mean, he, he's he's not as interesting as Christopher Walken or anything like that, of course. But anyways, if you're interested in all-American murder, uh, it's really weird and goofy. But I enjoyed myself. Artie Logan is sent to the all-American school. I'm a new man. You better be, Logan. He meets the all-American girl. Are you sure you're not dangerous? Did you fill me in? Top sorority, honor student, cheerleader. Queen of the hop. Yeah. Bad case of college burnout. Did I rattle you? Oh, no. I love being stalked by Norman Bates. It is accused of the all-American murder. Kelly, dump you. After 23 years of getting shafted, you snapped. I've been grilled by the Jokers. You must be the ace. You hear that sound in your head, don't you? Over and over. Only you burn up people instead. Anyone who mistreats you. Welcome to Fairfield. Christopher Walken. You got enough light? It might be blood. Charlie Slatter. It's been an education. And Joanna Cassidy. Put that knife down, would you? Somebody might think you're a crazed killer. All-American murder. Let's do a couple 91 shorts, although they don't qualify as watches for 1991. I wanted to watch some of the shorts from the time. Um, and this is Bad Karma from Alex Chandon. This is an import. This also includes some shorts on there. Drill Bit, Knife Bastard, Chainsaw, Scumfuck. But uh, yeah, so Bad Karma. I think it's about 36 minutes long. I'd seen this years ago. In fact, I put up a Retro 91 Reviews video before this if you want to check it out. I grabbed some old reviews even from the DVD Fiends days and put them on there. So Bad Karma's on that list. So I'm going to be very brief with this one. Uh, Bad Karma is 1991. Some people credit it as the first Splatter movie. It's definitely um, Britain's first Splatter movie. Alex Chanda would go on to direct Cradle of Fear and uh, Inbred and Pervella. So a bunch of movies and those other aforementioned shorts. But Bad Karma, it, it, the acting is super low budget. Now, like I said, like um, last week or was it the week before I reviewed Ostermontag? And it's like you could tell that's young people making a movie there going out to do the grossest things but they're trying to be disturbing so it comes across super lame while Bad Karma is a bunch of young people going out to make a movie and be gross but they're trying to have fun with it too so it's enjoyable Okay. Um, basically, there's a group of Hirokrishnas that are weird shapeshifters, and uh, they basically want to, I don't know, kill everybody or turn everybody into shapeshifters. They basically go around mangling people. There's a couple witnesses at a party that they forget to kill, so they are trying to survive. These creatures or shapeshifter people are after them, and that's pretty much the plot of the movie. They run into a bunch of people and kill them, and that's everything. Um, a bunch of their friends get killed. There's a bunch of crazy battles. Some rednecks show up that want to kill them. The acting's super over the top. It's super gory. It's super splattery. Um, 
Um, innovative at times. I enjoyed some of the effects, especially when a guy turns into a giant blob thing and starts biting people. One grows a claw and goes through somebody. Um, a lot of the stuff is enjoyable. It's innovative, but it's dirt cheap. It's super low budget. If you're not used to these kind of splatter movies, then I wouldn't really recommend checking it out. Um, but I guess somebody maybe said it was the first splatter punk movie, I think is more like it. But, um, Anyways, I like it. I enjoy it. It's it's uh, really goofy and gory and stupid, but hell, that's kind of who I am too. So um, bad karma. Super quick review, but yeah. Okay, the next short from 1991 is Carne um, from uh, Gaspar Noe. And this um, is before I Stand Alone. And this movie is kind of the precursor to that. I think it stars the same character who would go on to be an Irreversible 2 for a brief stint. I never saw I Stand Alone, but I wanted to check this one out from 91. And this follows this butcher. Um, it opens up. He's a horse butcher. He sells butcher meat. This opens up with some horses being killed. So any animal like sensitive people out there, anybody in general is obviously not going to enjoy this. But it's pretty nasty. Um, but then there's a lot of montage scene of him chopping up this, this, um, this horse and horses and everything, the meat and stuff like that. Um, but basically he has a kid with a woman and it kind of shows the montage of the kid growing up, him going through his routine and everything. His wife left him. So he has to raise this kid by himself and, and has a nanny and everything to it, but he's overprotective of her. She seems slow. She, does, she doesn't seem all there. So, um, at one day somebody kind of makes advances at her and does something horrible and he snaps and he ends up, you know, killing or trying to kill somebody because of it ends up in jail. And has to start over. Basically, he loses everything, gets out, and uh, he starts to have these violent mental breakdowns. And, and it's kind of like a statement on his, like, you hear all these men, these things that he says and all this kind of, you get this inner monologue of all these horrible things and this violent mindset and everything like that. But it's just kind of a really disturbing movie about, you know, mental, you know, you know, just a society, I guess, in general. Um, it's just hard to put into words exactly, but you kind of just more these feelings that come through and everything. It is interesting. Um, it definitely feels like Gaspar Noe, if anybody um, knows his movies. Disturbing. It's loud at times, you know, uh, weird credits and shit like that. But um, I, I would recommend checking this one out if you're a fan of his work. Uh, lead performance by the actor is great. I think it's the same guy who's in I Stand Alone. And I want to say um, it's the same guy in High Tension, but he's really great in this movie. Um, this is the youngest I've ever seen him, of course. And, um, yeah, just, just good performance. Interesting movie. Uh, good stuff. Okay. These next two are pretty crazy 91 movies and they're not necessarily horror movies, but they definitely fit into the exploitation. This one's more of a horror film. And, uh, how do I say his name? Hisuyaki Sato. I know his last name is Sato. He did Naked Blood, which is a really crazy movie. I haven't seen it in years, but this first one is Turtle Vision. Uh, this is a really interesting movie. Um, and like his movies are always put as like, you know, erotica, like, um, you know, fetish pieces. And they do have that bit, but there, this one has so much more to me. Um, this is definitely a voyeur movie. So the, uh, basically it follows this character who films people having sex in public, um, secretly as a voyeur and then sells the tapes, um, you know, for profit. One day he comes across, um, this one, um, woman who is having sex with somebody in a schoolgirl outfit and um, she ends up cutting his eyes and she, he seems intrigued by this woman. So he starts to follow around and um, he's also disturbed by it. And we have like this flash of a rape that happened years ago and he's kind of intrigued by it. So he starts to kind of uh, figure out what the hell is going on here and follow her around and everything. And this is a strange movie where ah, these two kind of almost bleed together because they're so weird. But um, honestly, it's just like people kind of interconnecting. We find out that this woman 
I don't want to spoil too much because there's a lot of reveals, but I don't know if I how I can talk about this without doing it. But there's definitely a psychic bond between characters, and there's definitely a moment um, that rape that happened. It affected certain people, and it started this voyeuristic thing. And one of the characters is what what's the word I'm looking for? It's like scopiophobic, where they're terrified of being watched whenever they do. But um, this movie involves incest, it involves voyeurism, it involves scopophobia. Um, just an interesting crazy movie and the slashing of the eyes and everything like that is definitely a statement on the voyeurism well um, and the end of the movie is just kind of perfect and everything comes together you see who the rape who was involved with the rape why the camera was involved with the rape and who the rape rape person was and how they relate to everything and who the who this person slashing the eyes was and uh, it's this weird form of sleepwalking like if somebody like Dario Argento did this movie it feels like it could have been an Argento movie if somebody else you know if it was just done with a bigger budget this is shot on a cheaper scope too I think it actually might be a digital because the camera and stuff like that I'm not 100% but it doesn't look particularly great but anyways I found this very interesting very unique very different and um weird and just um very highly sexualized but at the same time like perverse and um transgressive I, I would recommend checking this one out if you can it's a turtle vision which is a very strange title the cover art looks like you're renting some weird um like perverted um asian erotica stuff but and it i wouldn't really put it in that category i would put more of like an exploitation horror movie than any of that but it is it's just a strange experience um i really liked it actually Okay, the next one from 91 by the same director. Yeah, this title here is so bad. Like 50-60% of the people that would be interested in this kind of work as an art film, not an art film, but more of a, a less of a um, you know, porno is what I'll say, um, will, will be turned away. But it is lesbian rape, sweet honey juice. Come on, guys. Um, I know, obviously, that's trying to focus for other people to rent this. This has a lot of the same cast from the last movie, but uh, this one's super weird, too. We have this um, woman who wor as, works as a nurse, and she's infatuated with another nurse that works there, madly in love with her. Um, and there's this other person that comes in that sells test tubes that is infatuated with the nurse who's infatuated with the other nurse. So basically this guy is a serial rapist and he uses this weird gun that has a test tube on it where he shoots this stuff up inside of them. Um, also the main girl has this weird infatuation with the test tubes as well and all this kind of things like that. So it's super weird. Um, so this uh, nurse starts to manipulate the serial rapist in the kind of pinpointing on this other woman so she can vicariously live through his experiences and everything and kind of manipulate the situation where she can get what she wants. So it's this nasty, gross love triangle involving rape and weird scientific things and strange dreams that one of the characters has and uh, her obsession with lizards and um, scientific test tubes and babies. And it's just a super bizarre experience. There is a uh, some nasty stuff in here um you know some rape of course and all sorts of strange things like um his movies seem to go into weird places and do things that a lot of people wouldn't do um 
And it does seem like a fetish film at times, especially when it turns into like the the guy attacking women and there's like three minutes of him just kind of pulling at their underwear and like they're flying. It's just like, it's going on a little long, isn't it? Like, I, it's just like a fetish of somebody's like, I just want to see somebody's underwear get torn off for three minutes. So like that does kind of make you feel like, hey, what, what the fuck am I watching and why? But other times, like the plot and the subject matter is just like, this is so freaking interesting and weird that I kind of love this thing. Um, like I said, it's weird. Uh, both of them are like psychological character studies and just weird sexually perverse stuff. And the older I get, I just love stuff like that. You know, it like stems from Psycho, like all that mental stuff. And like we get stuff like Killer of Dolls and even Maniac. And it's just like all this weird stuff where you can sense the weird sexual repression and sexual aggression and just completely messed up sexual thoughts and psychology and all that kind of stuff inside these people and um i, I just love that stuff I, I find it so weird like um what is it's just in this one it just it just works and it's so weird that like sometimes the dreams or the memories are you know start to take over and it just is a strange movie both of them are really good i think i prefer turtle vision a little bit more but i really need to watch a couple more of his more his movies and there's a couple one called muscle that sounds really good and he did leota vibrator or something and um office what's the one it's like office rape woman with giant boobs and like she gets boob implants that are monster i don't this director is out of this world man like muscle seems to be like um uh, uh like a weird like uh male rape revenge movie it just seems like his i'm not 100 like his his filmography is just so strange and there's a bunch of them i just need to watch a bunch of these because the three i have seen i've, I've found really interesting and naked blood i've actually hadn't seen in years so i'll have to rewatch that one but these two i thought were really great too i wish a company would like release these over here like i said asian movies although i'm not the foremost expert on asian films or it's not even my favorite uh, country of origin. Uh, the older I get, the more interesting I find that their movies are because they're different, and I haven't seen as many. So I wish somebody would, you know, pick up the slack. I know that on Earth's putting out on Told Story, which I love, but I just, you know, really think that we should get some of these Hong Kong and Japanese and Chinese movies over here. And there's just so many movies, and and even India, Indian movies. We just don't have any from Asia. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see a lot more Asian releases to be honest, because the movies are batshit crazy and different. And I like to see their approach to things. All right. We're here for blind spot. What, what episode is this? 18, 19? I don't remember the movie. I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> this, this one's my choice or my pick. It was, this is bad. Cause I'm a big tan of big tan. I'm tan. I'm a big fan of Italian horror films and I hadn't seen like pretty much the beginning of it. Um, this is Mario Bava's Black Sunday. We watched the Italian version, the longer version. Uh, yeah. And before I forget, next week for you is Logan's Run. Yes. So, uh, yeah. This is Mario Bava's true directorial debut. He had kind of co-directed Caltiki, the Immortal Monster, and I Vampire beforehand um, for Ricardo Freda, who is basically you know his i don't i want to say mentor but he he was basically the cinematographer like barrio bava started as a cinematographer his father was in film his son directs films demons macabre blade in the dark so he comes from a long line of you know family in the movie business so um that's kind of like a, a staple in italian horror films if you haven't noticed you know dario learned from people um michael suave worked with fulci and 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 Liberto bava and joe diamato and argento so it was like this passing of knowledge like you know you know somebody you get involved and you work your way up and it seemed like a very family 
like um you know working together effort right so black sunday is considered i, I don't know the, the first kind of like big horror film of italy in 1960 it is super gothic yes and, it, and as tim lucas stated in the commentary um they necessarily didn't have horror movies or access to a lot of horror movies in italy at the time um so a lot of their inspiration came from fairy tales and this one is a, also an adaptation from a book so you can see that, and that's why like there's a huge fantasy element to everything. This legitimately feels like one of the best Hammer movies there it, ever it it, there ever was, and that, that's obvious. 1960, it would fit right in there with the Curse of Frankenstein, the Horror of Dracula, the Mask of Satan, aka Black Sunday. So. I would say that it is probably the second best non-Hammer Hammer film. <laughs> What's number one? Horror Express? Horror Express, oh, yeah. You said Horror Express is... It's like... <laughs> Horror Express is shellacky, and I love it. This is groundbreaking, you know? Yeah, this is a fantastic um, movie. So, um, real quick, you said that we watched the Italian version, but what we watched was dubbed. Am I... Yes, yes. And there's an American AIP version, which probably changes some of the music and has some of the gore effects cut out and some different alternate takes and everything like okay. that. So AIP is a, you know, an independent studio. Not independent. They were probably big at the time, but the low budget. They worked in a lot of budget okay. stuff. They would alter and change the movies to help with the American audience. A lot of times, dumbing them down or making them more accessible or cutting the run time. So um, you would get really kind of Butcher versions of great movies, and no one know they're great movies until later on. And, and I imagine that happened with what we talked about. I don't know if AIP released these ones, but we talked about um, the Japanese movie. The anthology was butchered, or right. or something like Eyes Without a Face was butchered and stuff. So they just kind of screwed these movies up. I mean, as a kid that grew up on 80s and 90s anime, I am used to things just being... <laughs> Butchered this is, is what we a got. compliment. <laughs> but anyways, this one starts off um, in Eastern Europe someplace, mm -hmm. which is where all these kind of gothic tales should take place, right? right. Um, and this is a vampire witch story. And like often like older things, like the vampire and witch kind of become one kind of amalgamation of monsters. Yeah. Um, similar to like V or Vi, the um, one story like that, the Russian story. Like... Mm -hmm. Dead creature is a dead creature, and they're almost all kind of similar. So it opens up with this awesome, like, witch hunting kind of, like, escapade where they nail this mask on the Barbara Steele's face. This is also kind of Barbara Steele's debut in horror films. She became kind of, she became iconic for her, you know, how she looked and, and her performances, and she even later worked with Cronenberg. So they nail it to her face in this thing, and it, it's pretty gory for the time. That was definitely cut in the AIP version. Mm -hmm. And uh, later on, we are following these two kind of doctors who are traveling across the Eastern European side. And they decided take a shortcut which everybody knows is the number one thing you don't do in any gothic horror film is take a shortcut stop at a castle i don't care if it's raining go past it don't pay attention to it you're gonna die if you go in there or get a bunch of people killed right. so essentially um they take a shortcut and they uh end up uh, crashing of course the the guy driving is terrified because he's a local and he's superstitious as all locals are um in these movies so they go into this crypt and they find this body, <laughs> and then through these circumstances of a giant dummy bat, they break it, and yeah. they revive an ancestor of this uh, old kind of curse and everything like that. They also loot the grave. They do loot the grave, yeah. but they're scientists, so Men it's of okay. Science. Men of science. I'm Looting graves and destroying bodies and right. <laughs> for, for ever. But um, they bring back this... Um, this witch vampire vampiress and she brings back her kind of uh zombie vampire father yeah or brother, or, brother or husband yeah or something like that so they come to life and, and the the whole family is still alive their lineage is still alive living mm -hmm. in the castle so they start to kind of infiltrate that because the castle and the crypt are in the same kind of area and it's a uh, i don't even know who's the hero in this movie but they got to try to stop this before it's too late 
because a lot of people are going to die. Right. That's pretty much the setup of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the pos- I don't really have any negatives about it, but the negative I would say is in the middle during the love story kind of stuff. You loses your interest. It starts to wane. Becomes very you know you know fifties kind of love. Dummy, yeah, which there is, is fine, but yeah, there is like like a very weak love story. Um, essentially, the younger doctor falls in love with the. Would you say reincarnation or, of you know not reincarnation, Steel, but you know what I mean? But yeah, the descendant of yeah. who looks exactly like her, of course. And I, Barbara Steele, the old evil one, wants that body so she right. can finally move again. Um, right. I, this feels a lot like um, the uh, what is the movie I'm thinking of? The uh, Carmilla, the story, it's the Carmilla a, story, yes. more so than Count Dracula. It's um, it's almost like you take all three of those that we watched, the Hammer ones, and if you, I think, yeah, combine um, them. The Carmilla storyline? Yeah. With Lust of a Vampire, Twins of Evil, and, of course, um, Vampire Lovers. Vampire Lovers. my favorite of the bunch. Um, and, I, you know, I remember when we were watching... And that's based off an old story that was written before Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it, when we were watching um, the original, or the first Carmilla story... Yeah, Vampire Lovers. Vampire Lovers. Um, there was that old guy that... Like, I get the thing should have been Vincent Price, but he looked more like a working man's Christopher Lee. He reminded me of the guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely rose from the grave, kind of that yeah. mysterious shrouded in black that seems to be pulling the strings. Like, yeah, so right. there's definitely that kind of element going on. Um, everybody knows Bava was a master of, you know, manipulation with the camera. Mm-hmm. So, and he was a great cinematographer, lots of long, beautiful takes of mm-hmm. composition where there's somebody in the far background, mid-ground, and foreground, and it comes around, and you it, it tells a story just in that one shot, like the whole family, that, mm-hmm. the kind when they show the family together. Um, it's not the reveal of Barbara Steele. We saw her in the cemetery. It's just a great right. little kind of you know fake out to the audience. But the camera starts with her, and she's in the back. Well, she <coughs> will be in the background by the end of the shot, but she's in the foreground. It goes around, and then we see somebody cleaning their gun, and then we stop at the father, who seems very... Troubled looking at this painting, right. and we see the whole family in one shot, so we know how this family works. We know who they are. We know what their position is in the family. And, and one's cleaning a gun. One, you know, it's just perfect. Right. It's a great it shot, is. and it, it sets. Is. It tells you what the hell's going on without. It shows you without telling you, right. which is filmmaking one hundred and one, right? Right, and it's it's only like a twenty or second thirty thirty second shot, like you know? twenty or thirty yeah. second shot, and um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, because yeah, it you know it's it's the the daughter of a son, and then the father, and it yeah. You know, it it's starts, one. it shoots one, and then it kind of like rotates. You yes. just see all of and them. And it stops in... on it, and it's great. Yeah. Um, also, the house is super gothic because yeah. it has booby traps and secret passageways and all that kind of shit. It made me think of like Scooby-Doo nonsense yeah. because like th- these are like supernatural creatures, clearly, but they have these like secret trap doors, yeah. and uh, I'm like, you're a ghost. Just walk through the walls or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, there's just fog, thick fog. Yes. Yeah. Great um, set designs. The mm-hmm. cemetery looks great. The fog rolls in on people. Um, it's a fantastic movie. I, I know. I think I only rated it four on Letterboxd, but I don't know what I was thinking. Like, rethink. It's better than that. So I give it like a. Well, we don't want to do ratings yeah, yeah, completely, we'll, we'll, but you know, yeah. I just mean I obviously misrated it. Um, I've seen a handful of Baba's movies, of course. You know, Bay of Blood, uh, Kidnapped, Eric the Viking. Blood and Black Lace, which is also a fantastic movie. You should check that one out. I Eric think. the Viking is father? Eric, there's, nah, Eric the Conqueror, not Eric okay. the Viking. Eric the Conqueror is the ripoff of Eric the Viking. Okay. I, I think Eric the Viking is actually a, probably a, um, a Richard 
No. no? Maybe, maybe he did a remake. There's another one called Eric something. Oh, Eric, okay. uh, I'm thinking of my Richard Fleischer movie, I think. Eric, maybe it's just the Vikings. I'm getting all these Viking movies confused. But um, he did a slew of movies I liked. And he also, like I said, there's a couple I'm missing. Like, I've never seen Lisa and the Devil, House of Exorcism, and Baron Blood are the two big ones. Of course, Black Sabbath he did as well. But those are the two big ones of his I haven't watched. But um, I, this was fantastic. Like, I mean, it's very iconic. And oh, Barbara yeah. Steele has the marks on her face. The crypts are mm-hmm. great. And, and when you see that, when the reveal of her at first in the tomb with no eyes, really nasty. And the scorpions crawling all over oh, her. Oh, yeah. I was like, like I, you could tell why like American audience would be like, this is a bit much for us. Like, what's with all the worms? <laughs> this isn't a Fulci movie. <laughs> they wouldn't even know the worms for another 19 years. Right. <laughs> no, um, no. 60, yeah, yeah, Fulci's 19 years before you've seen Fulci worms. Um, the, the, there's some, like, fantastic transformation scenes where, um, Steel, like, like, gets old and young, or young and old, and yeah. it's all in, it's all in like, camera. The, yeah, it's like, it's like a dissolve, I would say, like, the, he was a master at the camera stuff, that's yeah. why, like, even though Keltiki is dirt cheap, mm-hmm. essentially, like, it, it just, he uses forced perspective and stuff like that, and this one is his best looking movie I've seen, um, it's black and white. You know, it just, everything's perfect about it, really. Like, as far as a technical aspect, it's, it's probably one of the better horror films I've ever seen. Like, especially Italian. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a sucker for the one-shots. And I know a lot of it's to, you know, not have to do multiple setups. But I just, you gotta like the whole room that way. And it just, they just look good to me. Like, yeah. and this is before Steadicam. This isn't, this isn't mm-hmm. you and your friends, like, we're gonna do a run shot where I'm running and holding a camera. But I don't have to worry about shit because of Steadicam and stuff. You still have to worry, but you know what I mean? Like... They're like just that good technicians, and I'm sure Baba was—he's—he was a cinematographer, so he's like, "Fuck it, I'll do it myself." And some of these things, I'm sure, did, was he listed as a cinematographer? I think in this he one? was the cinematographer. How do you be the director? <laughs> I don't even know how that works. I know Joe Duimato did it too, and that's why like his movies are cost three dollars, but they they look better than three dollars. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know anything about making a movie, but I imagine you you just. Stop hold the it, camera and it. no and wait, the cinematographer is responsible for the lighting too oh. well and, you know jess franco did that too without mm. as much um uh success <laughs> obviously but still i mean um, you know you, you you look at our friend dustin he makes movies and he does everything yeah but those are dirt cheap too and he has yeah. he has a technological advantage but he, he also has a budgetary constraint right so um and baba always did too for what he accomplished his budgets but um I don't know. It's fantastic. And this movie made a lot of freaking money. It was very successful. Uh, I know it was remade by Lim- oh, no, but it was remade by Luigi Cazzi did the remake, or is it Bava? Lamberto Bava who did the remake. I'm not 100% sure, but it was AKA Demons 5 or 6, or one of them's the Black Cat and one of them is the Mask of Satan. Oh. So, um, did I, so, I don't know. I think this is a fantastic movie. The Tim Lucas commentary we listened to a little bit was very informative, but mm-hmm. I knew a lot of the stuff about his father working in film and passing it on and his son working in film. And, you know, he honestly, um, I think Fulci actually referred to him as Maestro. And I don't think Fulci would refer to anybody as Maestro except possibly Mario Bava. And Cameron Mitchell always called him Mario. Really? (laughs) My grandpa would tell me, like, that's how they say it. They say Mario. You know, I have heard Mario a lot. And I think that sometimes in Italy they would call him Mario. Or maybe just old white guys like my grandpa and Cameron Mitchell call him Mario. (laughs) But um, you're not going to argue with Cameron Mitchell. No. He's dead. Can you imagine, like, playing, like, a Mario game? My grandpa used to call him Mario. He'd be like, yeah. this damn Mario's cheating me. And we're like, Grandpa. I used to get made fun because I said Mario because of that. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, fantastic movie. Cinematography on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, acting is really good, too, I think. I mean, Barbara Steele steals the show. Um, I like the father, though, too. 
mm-hmm. I like everybody in the movie, really. I love um, both doctors. Um, there's a, a butler. The um, butler's cool, too. There's a lot of people get killed, too. Yeah, a lot of people get killed. And there is a... Um, you know, a old British style hammer pub in it. Of course. With, yeah. uh, without Michael Ripper, unfortunately. Oh, no. So if Michael Ripper... is going to lose a star. <laughs> Whole star without <laughs> Ripper. If Michael Ripper was in the pub, it would have made up for it. Yeah. Uh, that's why in American Werewolf in London, I'm so annoyed. It's like, you got Rick Mile, but literally, Michael Ripper should have been in that pub in the Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah. That was a huge miss. I know, I know people are like, well, he should have had, John Landis knew better. He should have had one of those old hammer actors like that was still alive. Because I've oh, had a absolutely. bunch of guys, like that drunk doctor who's like, just throw in a couple of them guys. Although I wonder if this is made a little bit before Ripper's time. No, Ripper. I'm just, I'm just kidding around. No, no, I am, I am too. Because he's yeah, not yeah. in the country at all. Like right, it makes right. no <laughs> sense for Michael Ripper to be in this movie. It made sense for him to be in American Werewolf in London though. Right. Um, so Black Sunday, I'm reading out of Creature Features. And this is Black Sunday, four out of five stars. Milestone Italian film marked cinematographer Mario Bava's directing debut and made a horror star of Barbara Steele. Bava pumped so much gothic atmosphere into this adaptation of Gorgol's The V um, that it's a masterpiece continually coming back to haunt the viewer. It opens with a horrific sequence in which a spiked mask is placed over Steele's face, she's a witch being burned at the stake, and a curse is placed on her family. Two centuries later, Steele's corpse rises to stalk her modern counterpart, also played by Steele. Helping her bring terror to the family is her evil brother, his face continuance of twisted hate. Uh, Arthur Arthur Dominici's performance in this role is remarkable. John Richardson, Ivan Garani, uh, Andrea Circe, music by Lex Basker, a.k.a. The Demon's Mask, The Hour When Dracula Comes, Mask of the Demon, Revenge of the Vampire, and House of Fright. Um, we, and then we have um, a British version is heavily edited form as Mask of Satan. Satan! Okay, so I'm going to read mine. Yes, sir. I, I want to, before I read mine, because I do want to mention the brother. Mask um, of Satan. So, in the beginning, like, like she, she, you know, she's a witch, burning her at the stake. He's, um, he's already dead, I think. I think they already killed him. He's laying on the cross next to her. The brother? Yeah. No, the brother's the one that kills her. In the beginning? Yeah. Oh. It's the brother that's killing her, you know, and he's like, and I condemn my own sister. Oh, yes, death. yes, you're right, so, you're right. So he, but there is another witch dead, too. Yeah, I think, I think there's some other people okay. dead. Um, yeah, you know, so, you know, they put the mask on and, you know, they set it on fire. Um, and she calls him back to life to basically do her bidding. Yeah, right? what happens is, is that, um, I can't it, I that it rains and the fire gets put out. And so she yells this curse yeah. to her family, to her lineage. And that's what yeah. starts it. And that's why the brother comes back as... Yeah, yeah I didn't register. That was a big yeah. mistake, on my, a flub on my part. I thought that he was next to her dead. But yeah, he did. They did put her to this... Right. And uh, you know, I, I just thought it was really cool. And, and then like when you get to the ending, you, you see what happens. Um, but yeah, brilliant setup. I mean, the first five minutes of this movie is just like... It, I know a lot fantastic. of people complain. This is a uh, tear on tape that oh, yeah, it never lives tape. up to the first five minutes. I've heard that complaint. Um, Did do, you? Do, 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 do. Okay. Black Sabbath or Black Sunday? Sunday. Black Sabbath is another Baba. Black okay. Sunday. All right. Ooh, that's out of only that too. Black Sunday, he does four out of four stars. <laughs> perfect. This is a perfect movie. 1960, Mario Baba with Barbara Steele, John Richardson, Ivo Garani, Andrea Cecchi, Arturo Dominici, and Enrico Oliveri. I don't know if I, I don't know if those names were so correctly. They weren't bad, correctly. soundly. All right. 
executed a witch steel who had a spiked go to mask hammered onto her face is accidentally revived from her grave as a vampire and seeks revenge on the descendants of her enemies while attempting to possess a look-alike princess also steel the best italian horror film this hauntingly photographed monochrome classic filmed as le mascara del demonio mask of the demon and shown in britain as revenge of the vampire Established cinematographer Baba as one of the great horror film stylists and made a cult star of extraordinary bread actress Steele. Originally released in the States by American International, the video version features different dub voices in the original Italian musical track. Um, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't go into too much detail with it. It is beautifully shot. Um, First time watch. Um, I gotta give it. Just for, if you take objectivity, subjectivity, and historical impact, nine. A nine? If, if I was rating this on a show, like for historical impact, it's, it's five out of It's perfect. Right. But I'm going to go nine, just right off the first time watch, nine out of ten. Um, you know, I'll only ever watch it once. Um, it's Don't a, lie. No, I, I would actually watch this one again. But you do see the comparisons to a lot of other gothic films and oh, other yeah, films absolutely. later on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's the best hammer non-horror. Without Baba, there's no Fulci or no Argento. Right. Now, um, I would rate this. Now, it does lose a star because there is no Michael Ripper. Um, probably a four and a half out of five. It's, it's pretty good. It's if it had Ripper, it'd be five and a half out of five. Five and a half out of five. <laughs> <laughs> All those Hammer movies literally are like two-star <laughs> movies, but with Ripper, it makes them like three. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like well, you, you already got a star just for trying, I mean. <laughs> you got one star for trying, one star for Ripper. <laughs> right. No, I, I loved it. It was great. Oh, it was fantastic. Um, it, it, You know, and it's not very long, is it? No, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Take yeah. note. You do, you're not Ari Aster, people. Especially independent filmmakers. I'm not trying to be a dick. You aren't Ari Aster. Who's Ari Esther? The guy who did Hereditary and oh. Midsommar. Oh. You aren't you aren't fucking Martin Scorsese. Cut your damn movies. Because people go back and they watch Black Sunday a thousand times. They watch Return of the Dead a thousand times. They're both under 90 minutes. Now this is would be a fantastic Halloween movie. I yeah, I gotta put it on. Good it's atmosphere short, too. It has it's like got the witches, Halloween It's themes. got atmosphere. It's got bats. One bat. Yeah. One bat, one, one very one, one giant large. bat. The whole, you know, usually like when you watch movies, you're like, "Why in the hell would you open that casket? Get away from that casket!" Right. The way this happens, it's just like, like the blood landing on him. I'm like, yeah. And I think that um, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, stole that. Oh, probably he stole that blood reviving Dracula. But blood is just, you know, it's the life force. It revives everything. Right. You know, but, you yeah. take Dracula's ashes and mix it with the blood of. Then you snort it, and then you become like a vampire junkie or right, whatever. Yeah. But uh, whatever those guys were doing, and taste the blood of Dracula. <laughs> but um, literally, like the bats, like he goes in the casket, and there's like it shows the glass, and then all of a sudden this big ass bat comes, and he's like. Oh. He shoots it, and then he goes and beats the shit out of it with a stick. But he breaks it breaks the the um like the glass. No, above her. What yeah. ha- no. Yeah. What happens is the bat falls on it. That weird. So there's this weird cross thing. They don't have like normal crosses in this movie. They're like it's gotta be like super Catholic cross, cross or something. Crosses. It falls. Like like he's like after he's beating the thing and the the cross breaks the glass. Yeah, the cross falls. That's and obviously a statement right there. Right, because they yeah. had like the cross and the, the reason why the coffin had the yeah, glass. Yeah, cuz the cross was on her face cuz they had yeah. the cross so she couldn't rise. So the the cross breaks, the glass breaks, all the blood from his right. hand cuz he's beating the bat goes into her and revives her. It's just like you guys really didn't think this one out, did you? 
should have made that they didn't have the plastic back in <laughs> but anyways um should have manufactured the vented plastic just so you wouldn't have this problem. right that's why they did that's Which, a fact the industrial revolution should have began 400 years ago yes um anyways great movie yes um damn near perfect and i think it would be if i watched it more so um next week is logan's run that's your pick yep with um what's the hell's that guy's name michael i can't remember his name he's I in remember. the I think it's the same guy who's in... Um... Now, I, I do have a confession about Logan's Run. You've seen part of it? I've seen part of it. But never finished it? I never finished it. And I never saw the beginning. But I, I saw a good 20-minute chunk of it, like, three times. The same 20-minute chunk, because it's always on... Well, nope. It's over. Now nope. we We're have to pick a it. random movie off the shelf to replace it, and your movie is going to be Forever Evil. I've already seen that one. You have not seen this movie. Don't fucking lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Your movie's gonna be Minnesota Clay with with Cameron Mitchell. It's can't, no, no. <laughs> Your movie is gonna be the Zombie Jamboree. No, we're watching Logan. Okay, Run, okay, okay. And I don't even know if it's horror. As long as we watch Vampire but, Cop first. No, I don't want to watch any of these. I don't watch anything in this room. Oh, it's over. It's this over. terrible. This, this room is the best. Horror. Anguish and terror are powerful words, but more than words, the chill language of living images shows that the mask of Satan is a picture of unparalleled emotion. It tells a tale of a strange, dark fascination set in a spine-chilling atmosphere of fear. It's death! I've just seen death. She's breathing. We're in the presence of some unnatural mystery. of evil have rendered that tie between us forever and an accursed poison flows in your veins. <gasps> Suspense and the unexpected combine to create an impression beyond any imagination of an indescribable fantasy coupled with an unmentionable reality. It's impossible, Father. He moved, he even spoke to me. Then he ran away. Sometimes Satan 
with his capacity for doing evil, even plays tricks with the dead. Okay, let's get into these questions. Um, Nick Mua, do you provide the screaming toilet scream? If so, how was it done? Did someone treat you to old rubber spice in the shower gag? Did one of your cats bring you a badly chewed up bird or rat? If one of my cats brought me a badly chewed up bird or rat, I would not scream. I would just be like, huh. I have weird late reaction things when it comes to being scared. or I wouldn't even be scared by that, but I guess it's a dead rat. Um, I work at a factory. I see dead things all the time. Um, but uh, the scream is actually from Bride of Frankenstein. Um, so yeah, I put that in there. I thought, what's a great, powerful scream that everyone remembers? Bride of Frankenstein. You can't forget that scream. So that's Bride of Frankenstein scream. Did you see the Mothman prophecies? If so, is it a decent film? I was told it's very unsettling that Richard Gere is at his best in it. Um, I reviewed the Mothman prophecies a while back. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I don't think it's bad. I think it was a very much a product of its time. And at its time, it was probably, it probably was like gangbusters, but now rewatching it, I was just like, this movie feels like partially like melodrama, partially superhero movie or disaster movie, partially creepy, and then partially like weird TV recreation stuff. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's horrible. It's just not exactly my thing. Richard Gere is an actor that's been in a bunch of stuff I have not seen very much because a lot of the movies he's in, it's just like not interesting for me. But I, you know, I'm willing to give him a shot, of course. He, I thought he was okay in the movie. Um, as you've been discussing the 90s, what's the worst example of low, uh, bad 90s CGI you could think of? For me, it has to be the ghost in Jan Dabant's The Haunting and Michael Pari's Werewolf Transformation at Bad Moon, though I really like the film itself. The director's cut in the new Screen Factory actually cut the transformation, uh, the bad CGI transformation. Eric Red was like, that's shit, I don't like it, and he cut it, and it, it actually flows a little bit better. Um, bad CGI... A Pitch Black is 2000. That CGI wasn't great, but it's not that bad. What was that movie called? The Regenerated Man, if I'm not mistaken. I remember the CGI was very early in that. And I remember, I think it was 90s, my jaw like hitting the ground. I was just like, holy shit, that's so bad. I think it's called The Regenerated Man, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me see. I think there's a DVD of it. I know I had a VHS years back. Oh, man. It was kind of a, um, where is it at? regenerated i'm i'm right there i know i'm there where's it at i don't know maybe elite elite i think released it so it's probably over here somewhere so um yeah and then we have some answers basically i asked if 1991's cape fear is considered enough of a horror film to include in the top 10 of 1991 because usually what i do with the 1991 the best of i include the top 10 mostly horror all horror movies and then like the 15 through 25 is you know more slack like it's not exactly horror but it's horror enough so i want to know if you guys think that kate fear from 1991 is horror enough to be considered in the top 10 of 1991 um my tube i don't consider kate fear a horror film although in 1990s the thriller slash horror line was very much a trope of the period silence of the lamb serial killer police procedurals that would go into the supernatural they tried to intellectualize the horror genre, which still dumbing down everything for a general audience, of course. I think From Dust Till Dawn is a perfect example. Is that a crime movie or a zombie movie or a road movie? As far as whether a 90s movie is a horror or is a thriller depends on what the meaning of is, is President Clinton. <laughs> 
Um, Travis Wright, I haven't seen Kate Fear, but where do you draw the line between thriller and horror? It seems to be different for everyone, but I think the amount of time people spend debating the difference between the two is silly. I agree. Um, but I even asked the question. Uh, it's just like, it's so weird a lot of times. Like I, I like I just want to know if you guys personally would consider it a top ten. I, I honestly don't spend much time arguing is it horror or not on a lot of things because in a lot of other countries they don't they have like a broad it's all genre film like thrillers, film noir, horror and sci fi and fantasy. It's like all the same thing. Um, Nick Mua, top notch show, Dave, especially the Blind Slot and Flash Gordon. Definitely upgrade from my DD, uh, my old DVD. On your question of the week, I'll say just this: Yes, Cape Fear is a horror movie, and it has more earned its place in 1991, 1991's top. 10 for sure. Read on only if you're interested. I've always viewed psychological chillers slash thrillers as a horror subgenre. I know well-respected critics deem horror a step above porn, so they like to use the terms like an art film with a touch of horror or psychological thriller in lieu of horror movie, but screw them. Sir Anthony Hopkins views his film Silence of Lambs, apparently the film that launched the term psychological thriller, as a horror story. I agree with him. What the fuck? What the flick? I haven't seen Enigma in about 13 years. All I remember is I hated it. I can't wait to get the Blu-ray. Um, this is basically out of time. I should have put this in information. Sorry, but I'm going to read it anyways. I love Master Universe. I grew up on it. I didn't even realize people hated it so bad until a few years ago. I do not consider Kate Fear a horror movie. He didn't answer the question. Though. Eric Townsley, Kate Fear. No, it's a crime thriller. Great bit as usual. Zach Nolan, if Return to Oz is considered horror, then Kate Fear is horror. Now listen, I didn't put Return to Oz in my top 10 for that reason. I put it in my top 15 and 25, though, because it's not as horror as I think it should. You know what I mean? That's where it belongs. Um, wrong turn, 13. Kate Fear is a houseboat drama. Addison Heath, definitely. Joseph Conway, absolutely. Justin Orman Thompson, just showed the clips of um, De Niro sitting on the wall with the fireworks behind him. James D. Coax, hell yes, one of the six scariest characters brought to the screen, beautifully portrayed. Kaiser Souza, absolutely. Kimber, Kimberly Ann Klein, yes, 100%. Peter England, yes, it is my top 10 horror best horror films of 1991, even of all time. I need a glass of water. I'm mouth is so dry. Michael Darwin, yes. Ray Stizzy, it's a thriller slash psychological horror. John Soloway, yes. Wasn't fair that Silence of Lambs cleaned up the 92 Oscar Academy Awards. Lambs is the great movie, but Hannibal Lecter was an easy character to play. He's too unrealistic. Anthony didn't deserve the best actor. Where is Katie? The guy, that guy exists, seen... Uh, Whereas Katie, that guy exists, seen 20 prison documentaries with that character in them. De Niro did some of his best acting in Cape Fear. It's terrifying. Um... You know, I also think that Ted Levine, Buffalo Bill, should have got a lot more credit than he did um, for that performance. Uh, you know, Hopkins is great, but um, Buffalo Bill scarier. Um, then we have Gino Alfonso. I consider it more thriller than horror. Christopher Duzimba. Duzimba? I'm not sure how to say your last name. I consider a lot of thrillers and suspense movies horror. I don't care to split hairs. If it has horror elements, screw it. I say so I vote yes. Brent Harsey, hell yes. Mindbender from the start. Zachary Puccinelli? No, that's crazy talk. David Gibson, I base my idea of horror on, not on tropes, but on tone and feeling of the film, so I do consider Kate Fear a horror film. If someone considers Silence of the Lambs horror, I can't see why this film would not be. Nicholas Hunt, yes. Jason Rutherford, no. Eric Waters, no. Randall Noel, yes. Mike Merriman, it's probably a movie that teeters the fine line, but the third act in The Houseboat is enough to justify it being included in the horror discussion for me. You could say that it's a thriller from that thriller that escalates into a horror movie, perhaps. Sam Edwards, Mike Merriman, that's a good way to put it. Gabriel, Gabriel, ugh, having a tongue twister there. Gabriel Jouette, 
No, I don't personally. It's a thriller. Peter McCain, I agree. Shazim Barbarian, no. Jason Fetters, I would say thriller. Jamal Potter, yeah, but I think it was kind of intended to be. Statistically, kind of feels like one. Chris Trix, I see it more of a thriller and suspense and horror, but it's your show. Frankenstein Jones, both versions are sublime thrillers, but hardly proper horror film. Then we have some information that I wanted to read. Popeye the Sailor Man just watched a great documentary called Fury of the Demon. There was a segment with director named Alexander Aja. Thought it was you for a split second. It's just your doppelganger. Check it out when you get time. Do I look like Alexander Aja? I don't think so. I haven't seen him in a long time, though. Um, Dustin Dungeon Studio. Okay, this is weird. As I have the Shameless release, which I wasn't too keen on, but hearing your review, I thought, he's talking about Venus and Furs, I thought, damn, you make it sound good. I totally must have been drunk when I watched mine. Been looking at my DVD after it's totally different. Yes, started in 1969, but by Massimo Dallamondo with Laura... Uh, Antonelli, this tame S&M relationship that doesn't really go anywhere and was pretty boring for me. But your version sounds a lot more compelling. Strange how so many were fixated with Venus and Furs at the time, as I think Velvet Underground also had a song called Venus and Furs from that period as well. Question mark. I don't know. Um, Mia Horsho, you making me a Fulci fan. For the amount of time you mentioned his movies and his name, but have you seen the music video of Carpenter Brunt song La Perve? It's looks total retro with Fulci scene. It's a short, uh, sort retro dark synth genre. No, I have not. Check it out. This Vampire Heart 1. You should also upload each review separately. I think you would get more views that way. Would love to see your channel grow. Love your content. Thanks. I would, but I'd be worried that like 14 reviews and then a, a weekly video, um, I just feel like they, they would sp spread the views too much. I used to do just the single reviews, and some would get a lot. Some would get like a 1,000, and others would get like a 100. So I just put them all together. Rick Romano, your lighting is excellent. It was like you really in my computer. I was. i seen what you've been on, too. Get off them sites. I'm just kidding. But 81 Oak Ridge, <laughs> he thinks this is funny. There ain't no way in hell I'm watching a work print of Oster Montag. LOL. I remember watching that years ago with sculpt, uh, Sculpting Fragments, putting on his most disturbing films video, and thinking it was one of the worst movies I'd ever seen. <laughs> Not a fan myself. So question of the week, since I reviewed a Tempe movie, I probably ask this question every other week, I feel like. But just for the hell of it, what is your favorite Tempe movie? Um, is it Dead Next Door, Ozone, Skin Alive, yada yada, etc. So um, we're going to hop into that update. Okay, let's hop into this. First is the Blu-ray of Avengement. I like this one so much, I had to buy it. Scott Atkins, Craig Fairbase. This one's awesome. The, the fight scenes are so good. Love Scott Atkins. Great stuff. Highly recommended. Love that one. And then we have The Barge People. I think it's the same director of The Beautiful People. Um, that, that name changed. I don't remember what it's called now. But um, yeah, this one looks cool. RLJ. It's also on Shutter. So this sounds like it's up your alley. Check it out. I love my monster movies, so I could not pass it up. And then we have um, from Gold Ninja. These these are weird. These are from Canada. These are not remastered, but they have the director's approval. So this is The Holy Virgin vs. The Undead from 91. And I had already watched this, so I wanted to get an actual press release. So check this out. So it's basically it says it's like, not a press release, but they use the best um, available elements they have. So, pretty cool. I'm looking forward to checking it out, see if it looks better than the one they had online. Um, but, yeah. Holy Virgin vs. The Evil Dead, which is actually a really cool movie from 91. So, here's another one here. Kung Fu Zombie. This also has a bonus feature, so that Holy Dead did too, The Evil Dead. But, yeah, so... So, if people have to have stuff on Hartford, Matt, then... And check them out, Gold Ninja. 
I ordered from Canada. It was it, it took a while to ship, but once it shipped, they came pretty quick. And then we have another one from them, Flesh Freaks, and Kill Them and Eat Them. So. It's only limited at 200, so there's... I saw this on an Instagram. I don't remember who bought one. But I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I think I have Flesh Freaks on a release, but... Yeah, so I figured, why the hell not show those? Pick those up. Then we have Naked Cannibal Campers from Sean Donahue. I don't know if I can show the back. Probably not. No, I think there's actually technically no nudity on the back, but I'm not going to risk it. Let me open it up and see what's in there. Yeah, probably not appropriate, to be honest. But any, oop, but anyways, this is just a gory, um, nudity-filled movie I donated to the Indiegogo. So Naked Cannibal Campers. Yeah, so uh, back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And have a good one. Mm.